They used to have what you might call the absolute kind of cutting edge of professional independent wrestler, wrestlers. Mm. Um, they don't really can't really do that now. There's too many people out there also bringing that talent in. So how do you how do you remain relevant in that marketplace? And I don't really feel like they have done. I feel like and and you know that's perhaps not fair because I haven't watched what they do. But I you don't I don't hear anything about Ring of Honor anymore. What what do they do? What can what can they provide that that is of value? <laughs> it sounds awful. But like, <laughs> I don't know where they fit. Hello and welcome to the Troopany Show. My name is James Troopany. This is my show, and today we're having a bit of a change of pace as we occasionally do drop in the good people's ring of honor, um, and we're looking at death before dishonor, which was their big card from last week. At 2300 Philadelphia Arena, what's mean to me and you is Viking Hall, or ECW Arena, the most bingo, famous bingo hall in the world. And to join me for this momentous chat is Mr. Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. How are you doing, sir? Doing good. Glad to be back. Usually we check in and do a little, you know, impact catch up. But, you know, we've been uh, journeying into our Ring of Honor. And I think last time... Uh, we did best in the world, so I feel like, you know, it's only right since we've been kind of very talking positively about Ring of Honor as they've been doing a lot of positive <laughs> things. If we come back and, and check in, you know, for Death, Death by the Song. I think so, yeah. I think it's, I think for us it's a nice little, like, it's it's that doesn't really, it knows its place in life, shall we say. Yeah. And it doesn't shoot beyond its means a lot of the time which I think we appreciate. Now, a m- month or so ago, Ben Spindler joined us for our annual State of the Union anniversary show. And we went through every promotion in the world, basically, the major promotion that could draw above a thousand people, shall we say. <laughs> and we got to Ring of Honor and Ben was cataclysmically angry because he said, what's the point? You know, NWA know what they're doing, they're all right, but Ring of Honor, what's the point? So I think we have to persuade Mr. Spindler of the point of Ring of Honor today. And as I've said to him at the time, I think the key thing is the diversity of the roster and the fact that they're having to do different things. They've kind of got caught up in the wrestling business at a point where if they don't act, they're going to get left behind. Yeah, they, you know, they got caught up, like you said, they got caught up and not just in doing bad business and, and bad wrestling business they they was you know heavily embroiled in a lot of toxic behavior you know so they had to do a lot of cleanup um certainly behind the scenes and, and you know they did a great thing you know watching this show i said to myself while i was watching i'm like they did a great thing by because it was a, a very much a, a very um staunch point to point out on this show um just how much energy is being put into the pure division and the pure title yeah. of it all and, you know, while everybody was kind of, you know, waiting on bated breath for a lot of these companies to try to do something to rev up during the pandemic, Ring of Honor did a great service to themselves by slowing down and getting back to basics with the pure tournament, which is why I think they're seeing a lot of success now because they're they keeping that energy and, and, you know, keeping the pure tournament as active as they are with the other divisions kind of building around that. So, yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. It's- it's intriguing to me how they're doing things. And they've they've kind of got caught on the hop a little bit, as we'll talk about later in the show as well. But a lot of what they do is so good. We'll, we'll start with the opening batch. There was a pre-show which had a battle, an honor royal, honor battle royal, honor rumble. There we go. <laughs> uh, I can't remember who won that. Oh, it was Alex Zane. Um, E.B. Bryant, Caprice Coleman, Dak Draper, Dan Housen. Dante Cavallero, Flip Gordon, Joe Keys, PCO, PG Black, Ray Horace, Silas Jack, Sledge, the Beer City Bruiser with Ken Dixon, and of course the world famous CB. That's Cheeseburger for those of you who don't know his new persona. Um, 
were going out first probably wasn't really an improvement on the old persona. Anywho, <laughs> the opening match was Dalton Castle, and he defeated Eli Isom in nine minutes and 16 seconds in a really strong match. Eli's been with the company for, what, 18 months or so, and he's really shown out, and he is an incredibly talented young wrestler, and Dalton Castle was kind of the ideal person to build a feud with, because Dalton Castle's all about character and story. You know, he, for uh, those of you who don't remember, he was actually in Chikara as uh, Shelton Remington, I think, if I can remember correctly. I'm just check his name. So I'm going to my cage match files and check his. I can't remember his actual name. Uh, Ashley Remington. That was it. Yeah, smooth sailing Ashley Remington, where he was. You know, you learn a lot about stories wrestling in Chikara and characters. And he's like the least Ring of Honor guy in Ring of Honor, but that gives everybody such a good base to build things around. And for a new guy that you're trying to break into the company and give them some oomph, he's perfect for that. What's your thoughts on this opening match, Marcus? Yeah, and, and just to um, trail back a little bit, they opened the show on the on the on the kickoff by doing a ten bell salute to Daphne. Um, yeah. I should no. I I, guys, I didn't see the show because I was concentrating on the main show. I did see it on Twitter earlier this week. And, of course, you know, Daphne was a large part of the early days of Ring of Honor. Yeah, so that, that was really cool to see. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of other, you know, companies, you know, did uh, uh, tributes and whatnot. Um, and I'm saying they didn't do a 10-bell salute, but it was just really great to see. Um, you can tell that, that you know, very much affected a lot of performers on this show, and they had armbands uh, giving tribute to her. So that was just really classy and, and uh, great to see. Mm. Um, and, and like you said, the opening, opening contest was a, you know, nice affair, and obviously Alex Zane uh, was a nice surprise return and, and uh, good stuff. Um, but with this match, I mean, I had um, – I've been actually following Isom, like you said, for the past – time that he's been with ring of honor and the first time i saw him like i was like i, I like this guy you know it was just something about him had an aura about himself very much an air about himself that i appreciated i like his uh aesthetic like his attitude uh like the way he is in the ring as a performer and um you know he's really coming along really great you know he's a guy that can you know i think that can go back and forth between like the the, the tv title and the pure scene hmm. and um, going against somebody like Dalton, who's a, at this point a stalwart in this company, and, and like you said, to his credit, you know, it could have, it would have been really easy for him to kind of come to Ring of Honor and not necessarily pursue that uh, Peacock gimmick as hard as he did. But I think he really stuck to it and kind of acclimated the audience to him, and not let let the audience dictate his own pace. So, you know, um, you know, he's done a, a really good thing to become a veteran in the company and really be there for somebody like Eason to build towards as he, you know, goes in that kid's future. Absolutely. But, you know, it's, it's building towards that and him going taking on guys like Dalton Castle and racking up some losses because I feel like coming off of this match, he could do something in the future where it might be like a, you know, two out of three falls because now he has to definitively get Castle out of his way. Um, so, you know, this was, like you said, it was a good opener. You know, we're going to get to it, but I never felt like there were any slow or boring spots in any of these opening matches. And that's uh, that's a credit to how much energy they put in. But this was a solid opener, and I think this is a good building block for Eason. Like I said, um, he's been racking up a lot of wins, but somebody like Castle got him a believable loss. Um, that bangerang is one of the more protected finishes in RH. So no no crime there. And like I said, uh, getting feuds towards getting towards championships, that's, that's where the money is. Yeah, I think so. And I think next it was, was kind of like um, a push more towards the, the pure division side of things. Taylor Russ defeats Jake Atlas in six minutes and 55 seconds. I've heard an awful lot about Jake Atlas, a little less about Tony, Taylor Russ. I don't think I've seen either of them wrestle for any length of time before. And I was really impressed with both of them from what I saw. But this match suffered from a flat ending. And I'm wondering if Jake Atlas genuinely was injured because it all kind of just came to a halt if that makes sense. It just kind of like, oh, oh, it's finished. <laughs> it all just seemed a bit flat. It was like going along nicely. It was a really good show, a really good match. And then all of a sudden just, no, that's it. I'm okay. Yeah, I was wondering the same. And kudos to Alex because I had gotten introduced to him through NXT. Um, and obviously here, I guess, um, according to Rick Abana, he may have uh, 
come out recently as uh you know part of the lgbtq mm-hmm. uh, and so that was cool to see you know him you know live out freely because I, I just that wasn't a thing in wwe uh so it's, it's cool to see that um, so it isn't a thing in wwe <laughs> it's it's like we know that like a lot of relationships are happening in wwe i can think of a few but nobody speaks of them on WWE television and you know because it's like well you know we, we don't mind but it's kind of like don't show don't tell policy like at the u.s army in the 90s it seems to be a bit like oh yes of course we support lgbtqi rights um, but we don't want to talk about it. yeah yeah it's, it's- it's weird. It's you know, it's it's at their convenience when you know when it's yeah. a thing. Um yeah. but yeah, as far as Rooks, the Rooks, um seen him before too. I think he may have passed through NXT or something to that nature. But um yeah, he's got a great look to him and uh I feel like that specifically after this match, because he was kind of breaking um Atlas down from, you know, both the leg and the arm. And I think he would be a great addition to the pure um the pure scene because I think he he really be a name that could rise up the ranks. That's another thing about the show that I really like. They broke down the rankings for each individual division, mm. and it really felt like things. Uh, you know, um, they keeping all these balls in the air. You know, every division feel like it's really you know got some real high competitive nature for these titles. Because it'd be yeah. real easy you know, for them to kind of lose steam. You know, like we got the tag team, but the six man is not necessarily waving. Okay, be the inverse of that. So. That was that was good to see, but yeah, like you said, this had a mildly flat ending. Maybe they can run it back on RH TV. Um, I think Rick Abana said we're going to be seeing them on RH TV. Yeah. Uh, so so that's 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 cool. I thought I think they could be really two good additions to the roster, specifically specifically Rooks. Like I said, his ty- his style is tailor made for that that pure division. Yeah, definitely. Both of them going to look good. It's just solid wrestling. Just like a nice little solid wrestling match. You've got two guys who got onto your main roster for the pay-per-view. And there was a lot of people who didn't get onto this pay-per-view roster, including Jay Lethal. You know, this was this was well worth the price of admission getting two people over to see what they would do. And the crowd really enjoyed both of them for this show. Philly fans are renowned uh, supporters of all wrestling from whatever company. But here, they, you know, they do, uh, they really did support the way this match went and was supportive of all the matches on this card. Okay, so the next up we had Violence Unlimited, Chris Dickinson, Homicide, and Tony Deppin. They defeated John Walters, Lee Moriarty, and LSG, three guys from the pure wrestling division, in a bit of an odd kind of slice of action that didn't really have a story. It was just kind of a way of saying goodbye to Lee Moriarty, who signed a contract with AEW. And this is the bit I was talking about earlier when I said Ring of Honor aren't really catching up necessarily with what's going on in the wrestling world. They've had Lee Moriarty as an independent talent that they've used on occasion, and AEW did as well. And they signed AEW and Tony Khan signed him before Ring of Honor had chance, which is kind of a bit of a bad move on Ring of Honor's part because he fits Ring of Honor really, really well. He fits AEW really, really well. Don't get me wrong, but I have a feeling that he perhaps would have flown in Ring of Honor and somebody should have opened up the purse strings. But in a classy move, they gave him a big send-off. They even said, good luck to him in AEW, and they're very glad he gets to pursue his dream on a full-time basis, even if it's not with Ring of Honor. And they were really nice to him on the way out, which shows you the standing he has in the company, and also the quality of wrestling that he puts in in his time. And this match was very much very fun. Depp and Homicide and Dickinson have been putting the time in lately on the indie scene, as well as in Ring of Honor, they aren't signed guys. They aren't contracted guys with Ring of Honor. Deppen and Dickinson spend a lot of time in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Obviously, Homicide spends a lot of time on the Indies and GCW. So they aren't even in Ring of Honor, technically speaking, though they've spent a lot of time there. Obviously, Deppen spends a lot of time in GCW as well. I think it's really, it's really interesting how they're kind of relying on these guys, and they need to really get them under contract. <laughs> What's your thoughts on this match, Marcus? Yeah, I, I dug the match, and the story of it was, I mean, just that, that I mean, you know, <laughs> Violence Unlimited just, you know, that they're, they're more smoothly all machine, you know, mm-hmm. obviously Walters, LSG, and, and Moriarty uh, were teaming, but there was a, uh, and, you know, kudos to, um, you know, on commentary, um, why am I forgetting his name, not Rick Abani. 
Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, Caprice Coleman, who was a great surprise entrant to that that honor rumble. Um, he said they were just they, you know, they they demanded and commanded and called in all the traffic in the rain. So, you know, it was almost a yeah. foregone conclusion that they were gonna get the win and they did. Uh, but but all six men look good here and, and you know, I think what well, Lethal came after um and, and gave a really great uh kudos to these men in the pure division in general. Um you know, as a veteran in that company, uh, you know, which was really great to see. And like you said, they gave you Moriarty um, a great send off and whatnot. It was great respect against all these six men. But yeah, if they don't have Violence Unlimited, which I guess would be uh, RH's uh, version of Violent by Design, um, if they don't have these guys locked down, they should because they, they, <laughs> they have great disruptors headed by Homicide, who, you know, is, is a vet in every sense of the word. So, you know, you definitely want to lock those guys down. I mean, they do work for New Japan as well. They work all of the tapings for um, New Japan Strong. Yeah. Uh, which is a very moment of great pride for Chris Dickinson, who, you know, his great hero is Nobuyuki Takada, who was a New Japan guy before he was a UWFI guy. And hence the reason why he wears lavender tights. <laughs> but yeah, it's it, it was in, it's interesting to me that, like, I don't know if it's storyline or if they've got a long-term agreement or what they're doing. But this is a bunch of guys who are like veterans on the indie scene and in Ring of Honor. Homicide was, you know, former Ring of Honor heavyweight champion. Of course, they work with Brody King. He's the leader of the group. And it does strike me as they may be like presented as outsiders. I don't know if they have a long-term contract with them. But it, it's the kind of this forbidden door deal. Like Ring of Honor aren't supposed to be talking with New Japan at the moment, but they work together on both shows, on, on Strong and on, and on Ring of Honor. It's really weird what's happening between the relationship between New Japan and Ring of Honor because obviously Ring New Japan favor Impact Wrestling at the moment, possibly yeah. pay more money. <laughs> you know, this is, this is a thing. Someone said this week, like, well, the New Japan guys are working in the States because it, it means they don't have, New Japan don't have to pay them as much. And it's like, no, nah, New Japan will be getting the money. <laughs> They'll be getting paid. You know, it's like New Japan guys will get paid and the, the New Japan guys will get paid their regular salary, probably plus some bonuses for staying in, in these lesser companies. But, um, yeah, it's intriguing as to how this is all playing out. But it seems to be working out for everybody so far. At the middle card stuff, the top of the card stuff, not so much. But anywho, yeah, John Waters, of course, from a pure champion. Nice to see him back in Ring of Honor. I kind of missed him in the time I was watching Ring of Honor and now, so it's nice to have another shot cracker looking at him, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. So we move on to a tag team match. Um, the Briscoes wrestled the OGK, Matt Taven and Michael Bennett. Of course, original gangster uh, kingdom versus the Briscoes. This was about as old school a Ring of Honor match as you were going to get. Two tag teams who have been the cornerstones of the company for quite a long time. The difference between them being obviously Taven had periods with other companies and uh, sorry, not Taven, Bennett had periods with other companies and the Briscoes have stayed put. But it's been interesting, intriguing what they've done with Michael Bennett and Matt Taven as they're rehabilitating Taven as a babyface and um, using Bennett's experience elsewhere to kind of downplay his superstar status that was kind of the driving force of the old Bennett in Ring of Honor. They've kind of humbled them, if you will. And matches like this where that humbleness and them going back to being a nuts and bolts tag team with super smooth moves can take out a legendary team in the Briscoes. That's a cool story to tell. And it's kind of a thing that Ring of Honor are doing well that other companies are not. 13 minutes and 17 seconds. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Yeah, like you said, this was just your standard classic Ring of Honor fair, man, with four guys who were, you know, very heavily affiliated with that company. Like I said, I feel like, um, you know, the Briscoes are going to retire, uh, retire in Ring of Honor um, in general, you know. Um, and, we, you know, it's really cool to see the OG kingdom. Um, mine is Adam Cole, baby. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just really cool to see these two come together, man, when they went on these separate paths. Obviously, Bennett went elsewhere and tried to, you know, establish himself in other companies. And Taven stayed there, stayed the course, and got himself to a world title and built himself up in a way, uh, regardless of whether, you know, you're a fan of the guy or not. He really, you know, set his own path. And the company got behind him for his loyalty. Um, and obviously, it's hard work. But not like you said, they've kind of broken him down. He had a hellacious feud, um, you know, with a bearded maniac, and it kind of broke him down. 
and uh, it, they were selling that store in the building to how like to let you know he initially like what I think towards ACL and lost the tag team titles with Bennett years ago, like I think in 2015. Right. Or so you know that on top of taking that that loss and that that feud, um, it was you know like you said it's, it's knowing rebuilding. I think it's cool to see these two get back to some of that kingdom magic, if you will, to potentially compete for the tag titles. Who you know you always feel like the Briscoes are in contention for anyway. So yeah. uh, for them to get that surprise win and, and pin uh, was cool. And it's also like, you know, telling that story of Jay, because I feel like Jay would have had more respect had he just got, you know, laid out for the one, two, three instead of like rolled up and, and like. You know, <laughs> but that's that's just that's just Jay. Uh, you know, he'd rather go down the hallway. So, uh, yeah, it, it was uh, cool. Like you said, standing the fair, but it's great to see those guys um, doing good, specifically Bennett on a on a, a solid, healthy path both in and out the ring. So. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it, it's both former IWGP Tag Team Champions, let's not forget. These guys were a big deal in New Japan. Both teams were. Yeah. But I must admit, it was Maria Kanellis that was the bigger deal in New Japan for wrestling. I yes, think. it was definitely the Shawn Michaels to their genetics. Yes, yes that, that was the thing. The uh, New Japan cameraman's obsession with Maria Kanellis. We well remember. Um, not there's anything wrong with Maria Callis, she's ace and in the management of Ring of Honor these days, which is the way it should be for a women's division. But we'll talk about that later. Moving on, we have the pure championship match. Jonathan Gresham was defeated in a what was a semi-upset against Josh Woods in a 20-minute match, which for a pure wrestling match under pure rules was a tad overbooked for my taste. Mm. I'm not sure how you feel about this, Marcus. But a match that's supposed to purely essence of, like, the pure essence of professional wrestling and, you know, the connoisseur will love this match because there's no shenanigans. There was a lot of shenanigans. Am I wrong? You know, it's interesting. Out of all the matches on this card, I was looking forward to your your take on this one the most because I know this is this is... This is your bag. This is oh, this is my bag. This is definitely, most definitely my bag. And I did enjoy it a lot. However, it felt a little contrived. Yeah, I, and, and maybe it comes down to perspective a little bit because, it, I mean, it was it was pissing the audience off too. Um, <laughs> yes. Ray. Um, but in a way, I feel like, and like I said, it, it, I guess it depends on how you take it because I felt like the rope wreckage of it all, I guess, kind of played into, for me, um, because uh, I was I was catching myself like okay let, let's not get frustrated because this is what these kind of matches are about um, like the road breakage of it all kind of a little bit played into the story of like just how much you know important this was to these guys to, to kind of even though with the story of seemingly Grisham having like four o over uh, Woods like just how important and and I guess tedious intense the match was. Um, but it was getting to a point where like, I think he they do this one more time because the the realest thing in the match felt like the ref at one point. He was like, you know what? Yeah. I'm not I'm not here for this. Y'all got one more time, and I'll send the both of you back to the lock, and I'll keep it there. <laughs> like, at that point. But uh, I appreciate it because I felt like it, it tied into the intensity. But I can fully understand how I could frustrate you know somebody and, and like okay, like y'all just this is not good storytelling with this, or, or y'all just allowing these guys to kind of do this, which is hurting the the initial integrity of the match. But I think when it really came down to it, once you got those rope breaks out the way, to me, it intensified. That's when you got the back and forth with the shots and uh, the submissions. And I'm because I heard about the match before I saw it, I was wondering how it went because in my mind, I'm like, Woods is good, but how in the hell did he beat Gresham? <laughs> yeah. So the, when the finish came, I'm like, that that works for me. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a big enough bump to take to justify yeah, a big change. Big enough bump, and when somebody who in Grisham is stacked, um, when somebody like that takes a bump, they you know to the head, it, it's a it's a clean cold knockout, and I, I feel like Wolves could almost you start using that as a finisher. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it worked. I mean, the, the actual ending worked, and the, it was the I could put up with the rope break silliness. Yeah. If it's a double pin. Ah, uh, yes. It, yeah. It, it, the double it, pin or the rope break stuff, one or the other, but they didn't need to do both. It over the, boy, these guys are close. And it's like, yeah, you can do that. So, yeah, I, I'm, you know, 
Jonathan Gresham is just outstanding as a yeah. wrestler, just on a different level of there's three or four technical people in wrestling um, at the minute. Satomura is one of them, and uh, Gresham's another, Suzuki, Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of guys on the British circuit as well who are kind of that good technically. Um, and it, it was a joy to watch him over the last, as we've watched these pay-per-views and seen him grow as a champion and become a main event player. Because um, I think we've done three or four Ring of Honor cards in the last 12 months. And you've watched Josh Woods go from being basically a rookie under um, uh, Silas to uh-huh. falling out with Silas and then building his way to the pure division, both of us together. And it's like, it's a nice way to round out that story. He's good enough to take over from this all time champion who's up there with McGuinness and Danielson. Yeah, I mean, it's been a really great story because, you, you know, he came in obviously, you know, young upstart. And then, you know, I think with some of those first initial wins, specifically in a pure term, you can get a little cocky. And then under the tutelage of Silas, who was like, um, he got humbled in a way and kind of had to, you know, uh, find a new form of aggression because Silas is no pushover. So I think that whole, th- and I think that's really what that whole thing with Silas was, like building him in a new way. Like you can be confident, mm-hmm. uh, but not necessarily cocky. And I think it, it grew him in a way that he could respectfully go against somebody like Grisham to the point where the man takes the L and is, you know, yanks the belt and is the one to put it around his waist, which yeah, yeah. Silly what I felt when he initially, you know, yanked it from because Grisham is a, is a class act in every sense of the word. So, um, you know, I appreciated, you know, the way that they they finished it because Grisham is just somebody like like you said on the on the level of Zach. I put Grisham against anybody, anybody. Like if, wow. if David and Goliath, I put him against, and this really does feel like a form of, of, of maybe you know uh, putting him in a in a situation where it feels like a suicide. But I put him against Walter. Um, yeah, funny you should say that because today GCW's main event is Jonathan Gresham versus the king of professional wrestling, Minoru Suzuki. Oh, wow. <laughs> Ain't it, though? <laughs> I mean, I mean, but that's, that's, that's a dream match, man. You know, it may not be for other people who are just so focused on these bigger companies, but I, I know what that looks like. And the fact yeah. that it's, it's cool to see Mizu- uh, Suzuki come over here and, and just really almost... Uh, feel like he's getting a new amount of fanfare because um, he obviously he, he debuted in AEW and he had this uh, felt like he had a different energy about him. Like anytime somebody like Suzuki or Brock is smiling and happy, it's even worse. <laughs> so, so that's what makes it so great. And they building this whole story about uh, let his you know music play out or whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah so, that was that was that was. That's the thing AEW does so well. Yeah. Ring of Honor, but this is worth mentioning is the fact that AEW pick up on stuff and can turn it into a story. Hey, we screwed up. Right then, we'll fix it and we'll make it entertaining and we'll produce an entire week's television around it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I got to give it to them, man. They, they're finding new ways to be because I haven't been as consistently interested as I would have wanted to be in their first year, but I think they're starting to find a different groove for themselves with some of these new names. And like you said, some of these uh, tweaking some of these storylines, because, you know, the the mild hesitation for me has been all the amount of these guys that they're bringing in. I'm just like, this is great talent, but somebody's going to get lost in the shuffle. And I feel like somebody like, you know, for as good as they've been uh, with the success and everything, I think somebody like Cage is suffering from that. You yeah. Know? Got guys, you know, slow being vocal about it as well. Yeah, when you got somebody like Powerhouse Hobbs, how many cages do you need? You know, so yeah, yeah, so stuff like that. But yeah, like you said, it, it's brilliant for what they do. Sometimes simplicity is 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 perfection, and when you have something fall in your lap like that, why not go with it? You know, so. exactly. Yeah, but we'll see what happens at GCW today. But that 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 is a dream match, which really Ring of Honor should be having. You know, Gresham's their star. I know he's worked hard for GCW in the past, and it's it's gracious of Barry Ring of Honor to let him go work there because that wasn't always the case. If you were a contracted guy, you could only work Ring of Honor. And it is a dream match for anyone, but it should really be happening in Ring of Honor. And if 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 all things were equal and aligned, not GCW, but that's the way the cookie crumbles at the moment. And it's great for wrestling. Um, 
but not necessarily for wrestling companies. And I think the back end of the stick at the minute, but you know, ebbs and flows and things change. So we'll see. But let's, you know, bask in, in the glory of a great Ring of Honor Pure Championship run for Jonathan Gresham and a great yeah. for Josh Woods, who looks like the real deal, just as Jack Gresham does as well. Absolutely. And bearing in mind as well, as we've discussed before, every wrestler in a championship position up until this point was from minority. They were either African-American or Latino. Which yeah. is, for a company of this size and stature, is exemplary when it comes to diversity and representation. And for a company that we know has right-wing leanings as far as its money is concerned, they're not bothered. They want to be do the right thing at the right time by the looks of things. It kind of reminds me, I think I told about this a lot while ago, of the AFL in the 1960s. The AFL were in the business of making money and therefore hired players the NFL would not touch, i.e. African-American players, because, you know, the NFL wouldn't touch them at the time because of color bars and racism, basically. Whereas Ring of Honor are in the business of putting on great professional wrestling matches in an effort to make money and fill up TV time. And to do that, you need great wrestlers, and a lot of those great wrestlers are African-American, and for whatever reason, they're not in WWE or Impact Wrestling or AEW. They're kind of floating free, and you can just pick them out the air and give them a push. And that's something they've done well. And such a great you know, conversation to have specifically with you and, and shout out to Chelsea because I know how much she, you know, pays attention and picks apart a lot of stuff when it comes to the women. You know, how important is that for Ring of Honor specifically when this is the time that they're finally getting to integrate their women? Yes. Substantial way. Finally off the ground in a, in a, in a big way that's, that's, that's moving forward, which we'll get to on this show. But, you know, talk about that lack of diversity when you talk about the women for so long. Um, that's felt like their biggest hurdle, aside from all the, you know, the, the smaller ones that they've had to get. So, you know, having that diversity, you know, uh, now along with that, you know, is a, is a is a big deal. For sure, definitely. Right then, let us go to the next match, which was the Ring of Honor World Six Man Tag Team Championship. Shane Taylor Promotions, Khan Moses, and O'Shea Edwards, who was replacing Shane Taylor. Uh, with Ron Hunt, their manager defeated La Faction Ignorable, or the Ignorables, <laughs> which they're not allowed to use because it's not CMLR. It's complicated. Anyway, Dragon Lee, Kenny King, and La Bastita de Ring, um, replacing Rouge, who's having knee surgery. It's very complicated. Basically, La Bastita de Ring is actually Dragon Lee and Rouge's father. And he was supposed to replace Roosh, who's having knee surgery in this six-man tag team championship match. Shane Taylor promotions came to the ring, and it was supposed to be uh, Khan Moses and Shane Taylor. But Kenny King attacked Shane Taylor with a chair, which then O'Shea Edwards took over <laughs> as a yeah. replacement. They were all happy with that. We moved on. Now, the interesting thing, usually this kind of storyline is the process for a title change when the heel team wins. Ah, oh, you didn't beat our guys. Da, 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 da. Our full lineup. And that's how you that's how you get a title change without it being, you know, um, with it allowing a bit of room to maneuvers for the baby faces to not lose any heat. However, in this case, they used it with, well, our B team can beat you anyway. <laughs> so this was really cool to see. It was a different way of telling a story that's been told a thousand times before very old Southern tag team way of doing things applied in a modern way with a twist. And I appreciated that a lot. And it was helped that everyone in this ring would work their hearts out for what was it, 11 minutes. This felt like half an hour in a good way. <laughs> so it this one, Marcus. No, I'm right there with you, man. I, this is a fight forever situation for me. I could watch these, these two teams go back and forth for, for the rest of the year. Um, it's that good. And, and the reason why, and kudos, people that's been listening for a while. I know I'm a, I'm a Kenny King guy. Um, he's gold on the mic. Obviously, it's super talented, but gold on the mic. He kicked this whole thing off on, I think, either early in the show or on the pre-show. When he cut a promo, you know, it was like, you know, there's, there's, you know, violence and, you know, violence unlimited, but there ain't no gold. And then, you know, um, going to Shane Taylor Promotions saying, like, y'all got to, you know, you know, the big dogs and all that, but, you know, what happened when you cut the head off the snake? Yeah. And then going to your point, it's like, 
you know, you take out the, you know, you take out the strongest part of the chain and, mm-hmm. you know, what happens to the rest of it is like, no, there are no weak links in Shane Taylor promotions. <laughs> in our group is hungry and everybody in our group will eat when when, it, when it's time to get served. And that, that was, you know, such a great thing. Um, and then you, 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 the other great part of it is they added the Lucha rules for LIF. <laughs> <laughs> that was the because of the chicanery that comes with the you know that that whole that the whole thing which is tailor made for somebody like kenny king so you know the fact that they had the advantage and then they took another advantage and they still took the l you know just uh plays more into the story and what, what a great ending for shane to come back out there and dog him where the chair was even, you know, even better so to me this thing is far from over you know all this obviously lif still got majority of most of all the gold um, and, and looking to take more of it from, uh, you know, Shane Taylor promotion, but that's going to be quite a task, specifically that Shane's, you know, maintaining his faction, heading his faction, while holding these tags, uh, six-man tags, and trying to get in top contention for the world title. It's, you know, it's just a lot of great story to chew on right there, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's very Terry Funk, you know, back in the 70s, that kind of baby face coming back from the back after an injury to help win the match. You know, that was that was a very Terry Funk idea. He one of his favorite things to do <laughs> as a baby. So a very Amarillo kind of way of looking at life. So yeah, really good fun. Next we have the first Women of Honor Women's World Championship, not the Women of Honor, the Women's World Championship, which was given high billing um, to two finalists, Roxy and Miranda Butt-Elise, uh, 18 minutes and 13 seconds. This was a match that was really good. Like, really, really good. And it's the kind of match that other wrestling companies should give their women in their women's main event slots. You know, they had plenty of room to, to deal with it. They probably, as wrestlers, don't have quite the gravitas to deal with an 18-minute match, perhaps the way somebody more experienced could do. But having said that, they gave it their all, and it was exactly the match this needed to be to establish the division, which has had a rough, rough ride. Um, Roxy and Miranda Elise are perfect finalists for this because they're new, fresh talent, and it rests back onto the Ring of Honor tradition of put over the new people. They could have quite easily stuck this on Chelsea Green or even Session Moth Martina, two seasoned hands who know what they're doing, but they're much more useful as chasers because they can get these young wrestlers over to the same standard that they are and to the same standard of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, notoriety to be yeah. a championship uh, a run. You know, I think yeah. Bonner was kind of flawed in the sense of no one really took it seriously and it wasn't really given the time it needed to. This changes that. This is a big change in the way, way Ring of Honor do their business. It's much more representative. You know, and it feels like they've short-circuited themselves. They've realized women's wrestling is hot, obviously, and I don't want to call this a cash-in because they've carefully planned this very, very well. You know, they've done a good job with it. They've got the right people involved in it. They've booked it properly. You've got Maria Kanellis, and I'm sure Slimmy Sakai has probably got an awful lot of influence on the way this tournament's running as well. So they know what they're doing. <laughs> um, but, you know, I can't, I can't see Britt Baker having this style of match in AEW. It'd be a lot shorter and not as intense. And there's nothing wrong with that because Britt Baker doesn't have need to have these kind of matches. Yeah. And I see Deanna Perazzo having this kind of match in Impact. She could easily have it because this is where she learnt her words, if you see what I mean. This is where she got herself kicked off. This is her kind of match. However, Impact don't really do this kind of thing, and I think they perhaps should. So as far as their equal competition, I think they're going at it about it the right way because they're being different and being their own thing and using new people to get themselves over. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? No, I 100% agreement with you, man. This was so great to see and, and beautiful and such a, it felt so, like such a long time coming. It felt like, like you said, they might not necessarily had the, the gravitas or whatever to, to do the 18-minute match, but they had the will, they had the energy, and they did the, I think they did the character moments in the match. Cause you really, they told that story, of, and it's funny, and maybe I was alone on this when I when I saw heard the names and then I saw the people I was like it felt like the name should have been switched. Um, yeah, the uh, competitors, but it was it was great to see. Um, if it literally felt like 
and this is no knock on any women that's come before them. And shout out to Maria for giving a shout out to all the women that came before her and that have literally been building themselves to uh, breaking themselves to even get the spark started with this whole thing. But it felt like they had to make up for all the bumps, like you said, that that have come yeah. from the lacklusterness that that's been. Because I didn't really get interested until the tournament. Like obviously they had women's wrestling on the show, but. I don't care to see whatever was left of the beautiful people in all age. Like, I'm, <laughs> you can't pay me to tune in the, the the Velvet Sky. Sorry, but that's not my. Plan. Um, but these two women, I could I could follow for the you know anywhere, you know. And I, I this was my first time getting introduced to them, so that says a lot um, about you know not only the work they put in, but the you know obviously what they do with their character and whatnot and to get this match and for it to come off the, as excellent as it did. And for, you know, like you said, Maria and the whole band to put as much importance and feel around it, to put the nail or the stake in the ground to kick off this division and with this title. And like you said, getting back to that all age style of putting the young people over first and foremost, it was, I don't, I don't know if you can ask for anything, but a semi-main event to me. Um, and, and then they went 20 minutes so these women can tell the, the, the proper uh, story, well, you know, in the proper amount of time. So, you know, just great to see. It's what they needed to consistent. Yeah, that's it. It, it just, it's just good. It's another thing. It's not, it's not groundbreaking. It's yeah. you know, the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. But they're doing it right and they're doing it often. And sometimes that's all you need to make things work the way you need to make them work. You know, and I think that's the things that are really helping the company do what they are doing at the moment and making them stand out in a different way from what the other companies are doing. And there's the point, isn't it? <laughs> As we keep going back to Ben's statement, I think we're finding the point now is yeah. they're getting a home to new talent and new wrestlers, which is what Ring of Honor has always done and trying to build them within their own niche. And if they go somewhere else, they go somewhere else. But whilst Ring Ring of Honor, they'll be Ring of Honor people, and they will do a Ring of Honor-style work. And that's an awful lot to do. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, the main event here is four guys who aren't really Ring of Honor guys in the greatest sense of things. Um, Brody King is ultimately a Ring of Honor guy. He's only a relative recent addition to Ring of Honor, but the Ring of Honor fans have adopted him as their go-to monster, monster babyface or heel, depending on where he's standing in a match. Bandido has been adopted as a Ring of Honor guy. Flamita has been as well, but in a different way. He's kind of the uh, Rudos version of Bandido. And EC3 has perhaps been the least Ring of Honor guy possible to have success in Ring of Honor, if that makes sense, I would say. And they had a barn burner of a match here. You know how much I dislike four ways and three ways and other forms of shenanigans of wrestling match. Yeah. I, I like things in a straightforward manner with a sprinkling of barbed wire occasionally, but usually a wrestling match. So this was kind of like a while for me to get into. But once I got into it, I was hooked into it and I really enjoyed it. And there were some star performances from all four of these people. I mean, the last time we watched Fulmita was... Oh, God, last year when they had the breakup of the, Mex the Mexican tag team. Um, and I liked him then, but here he's kind of developed a whole different dimension of Rudos. He felt like a year ago I didn't feel he would fit right in the main event of a Ring of Honor show, but here he looked like he belonged. Brody King has so much presence and poise as a main event wrestler. It's unreal. And EC3 seems to have found his feet and is telling stories that he needs to be telling. And I've thoroughly enjoyed that. What's your thoughts on this one, Marcus? Again, 100%. And I'm, I'm more of the two of us, obviously, more in the four ways when they can be handled. Because it's not easy to do. It's a lot going on. You know, um, you, you got to stay abreast. It, it takes four, you know, level-headed, logical uh, guys that, that, you know, are working together for the betterment of the match. Um, and not everybody necessarily going off in the business for themselves because that could very much happen. Um, so I appreciate a good multi-man match when it works. And this, like you said, worked. Um, not seeing too much of, of Flamita, but this is great. He's average, obviously. He damn near comes off like a, like a, um, like a cartoon villain 
uh, mm -hmm. in a way, uh, with just some of his the demeanor and the personality. Um, and it would have been cool to see him maybe come through Lucha Underground at one point. Um, but uh, yeah, this was this was great. And then obviously Bandito coming out to, like the new champ, uh, very confident underdog, uh, but, but somebody who could obviously get the job done. And, you know, he got a chance to retain and like you said, a bond burner of a match and go back and forth with Lamita, who this really comes off, like I said, like a consummate villain for somebody like Bandito. Um, Brody King is an ace. Um, and, and it's like you said, EC3 looks like he's finding his foot. And I was bored to tears the last time we talked. <laughs> it's like, dude, you had it when you were in impact and then you went elsewhere and you chose to lose it. Um, and then, you know, feel like you've been trying to regain some semblance of, you know, relevancy ever since. And, you know, he's found a new form of it. Uh, and, you know, slowly but surely, I'm, I'm coming around to it. And I think um might take a little bit more time, but I, I dig it. You know, sometimes uh, even if something works, it may not work for that person anymore. So, you know, it's been cool to see EC3 literally rebuild himself from the ground up. So, uh, yeah, this is definitely a match I'll go back and rewatch because it's just, like I said, it's not easy to pull off these kind of matches. We see it, ironically enough, in Impact all the time, but um, actually in more chaotic forms. Um, so uh, this this was cool to see, and they finished they finished this this show off real strong. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's always a historic kind of card. Is is uh, death before dishonor? You know, it kind of it plays into the folklore of Ring of Honor and the whole honor system and uh, code of honor and how it's implemented and the, the the universe of the wrestling promotion that you're watching. And it's important to understand that history to get the relevance of this. You know, Bandido as a champion is. You know, you've had two Mexican champions in a row of a major promotion. That doesn't happen ever. <laughs> you know, having one luchador take the title away from another luchador was impressive enough. Yeah. And he had to make Bandido look like a star. He beats Brody King here, the big monster. And yeah. Brody's been trying and chasing that championship for such a long time. And the expectation was he was probably going to get crowned at this event. And it didn't work out for him. But he doesn't make band. It doesn't look. Brody doesn't lose anything, and Bandito looks even stronger. Now that's pretty good booking in my book, and everything about this show has been solid and well worked and understood. We, I think, we both had criticisms of the last show, how it kind of left things hanging in certain places. But this yeah. did everything move forward and created motion, which is the whole point of these big shows on historically important nights. Absolutely, and I think you know. If uh, shout out to Ben. Uh, I always got to give credit to Ben Hope as well um, for, you know, bringing me into this whole thing, um, <laughs> you know, on, on uh, you know, Russell Talk and everything. But I think if, you know, if he listens to this, I think in terms of Ring of Honor, I think the most consistent thing that, you know, across us talking about these shows that, you know, with Ring of Honor is like them getting back to so many of their basics mm -hmm. while, you know, doing the, the, the logical steps in, in terms of evolving. Like, we've always talked about, like, how do you have being backed by somebody like Sinclair and, you know, you, you almost come off at times like you were, you know, um, like the sequel to the Hardy Compound almost. And, and <laughs> it shouldn't be that way. Like, you know, this is a quality product and it should, it should come off that way. And I think they've done, you know, like I said, you get the toxicity away that they had to deal with and you know, obviously, you know, certain polishes with the show. I'm even coming around to the belts now. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, taking a while to do, but... um. Well, I mean, you know, the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship is the most hideous belt I've ever seen, so anything's better than that. <laughs> really, which really is a stick in my craw, because it's the most hideous belt on my favorite guy from Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so, say I'm conflicted is putting it lightning right now. Yeah. Um, Going on in New Japan, uh, but I, but I, but I'll get back into it. Obviously, you're covering the the pre shows for the G1, and I will, you know, we'll get off into that eventually. But um, yeah, so it's just them getting back to so Ring of Honor, getting back to so many of their basics, man. Like you're saying, diversifying not only the way you know some of these storylines, but just in their champions. You have so much quality, um you know you know diverse talent you just have to you know give them give them the legs to run and they you know they're really doing it you're looking at shane taylor promotions just the, the diversity alone in the pure division is yeah. insane now you're getting you know obviously uh the tag team and everything and and 
finally getting the women's division off with a champion that, that a lot of people can get behind and, you know, a, a challenger that I'm sure is she's not done with because of how that match uh, finished. So, um, yeah, it just really feels like they they revving on engines. They might not be the biggest of engines. And I can understand how Ben could be like, you know, how um, in a lot of ways it comes off like impact, like how you've been around this long and you're just, you know, getting the car back in a proper position to, to stay in drive, if you will. Um, and not necessarily in, in second gear, but, you know, I think they're heading towards that direction. And it's really cool to see after a pandemic, them come out thriving and not looking like they're regressing, you know, so. You know, yeah. you got to give them cool. Like I said, the, one of the better things they did on the show was really laying out the competition in all the divisions, showing you that all the divisions not only have competitors, but it's com- competitors, but it's competitive. Um, because not every not every company, man, keeps their titles um, as relevant as they should. You know, how many, how long was uh, Ambrose United States champion? It felt like he did the same thing with the New Japan belt. Uh, uh, a moxley if you will so uh you know you gotta you gotta continuously have that momentum i think rh is is quickly becoming a place to go when you leave one of the quote-unquote big kahunas you know and you can go somewhere and really uh get your foot in so you know kudos to them It, it feels like you know for the second time you know we talk about another successful show even better than the last one, which is what you want to do, you know? Yeah, that's it. They're, they're topping themselves at a steady rate without blowing everything in one go. You know, they they don't have AWF because they don't have the deep pockets. They don't even really have the options Impact have because Impact's a more traditional North American wrestling company. The guys from WWE, come from WWE kind of fit into Impact much better than they would fit into Ring of Honor. Noticeably, the only guy to have gone back to Ring of Honor more or less directly from WWE, and even he had time and impact was EC3, and it's taken him a while to find his groove. You yeah. know, um, obviously, uh, um, Mike Bennett has gone back as well, but he's he was a Ring of Honor, Ring of Honor guy. You know, he's he's one of them dudes. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, it it it's got the the kind of limited in the guys that they can use, but equally that means they can go find people that other people aren't going to use in a positive way. Exactly. Uh, we've seen that before with FMW and ECW specifically, funnily enough, from the ECW arena, those companies made it to the big time without TV even, you know, and, and were able to do it by picking guys that they could get, not necessarily picking guys that they wanted. So yeah. Ring of Honor can, and Ring of Honor don't have the pressure on them to make money week after week. They have a TV deal. Their job is to produce content. That's it. In which case, they it, it, when my when we talked to, when I did talk to Ben the other week, we kind of like pointed out like WWE could seriously make money by having Becky Lynch flick rubber bands at the back of Charlotte Flair's head for three hours on a Monday night, and they would still make money because it doesn't matter <laughs> as long as they make passable television every week, they fulfill their contract, they're fine, so it doesn't matter. Whereas with and Ring of Honor, we're kind of in a similar position but further down. But they clearly care about making a good product that reaches to different people. And that's the key thing. You know, I think AEW are kind of the big arena filler company that want to go big. And Impact yeah. Wrestling just kind of want to make content and produce interesting artistic wrestling. Ring of Honor are kind of between the two in the sense of they want to do bigger shows, but they care about the product that they're trying to produce. And I think yeah. they three the three non-WWE big companies in North America have got different sizes but they're all kind of going in different directions and that can only be good for wrestling. Yeah. Like you said, you know, the different, different directions, different paces, but all different spaces for uh, so many different guys to work, which was not a thing necessarily um, in the previous years. because It it, it really felt so isolated. Um, But, you know, one of those guys, one of those companies, if you will, pushing so many guys to be forced to diversify their own lenses um in the industry i think it's, it's been great as well because some of these guys have found so you know new life i mean just talking about the women's division in um ring of honor you know like you said diana sort of you know broke her teeth if you will um not in the business but in terms of you know creating the character that we know now an impact 
in a sense in Ring of Honor, but you know, she's thriving in Impact. I don't know if she necessarily would have got to where she is now. She would have stayed in Ring of Honor. So um, I, I think it's just different strokes for different folks. Some some guys leave WWE and, and thrive in AEW. Some people can leave there and go to MLW and, and thrive, you know. Yeah. Uh, like I said, it's a member of the 5-2 family that's on top in MLW right now. Yeah. So, MLW is a whole other thing. We never really look at MLW because it kind of exists in its own kind of field of thing. Yeah. I think we should look at MLW at some point, but I've just never got around to it. It's just never appealed to me as a show, I guess, because there's too much other stuff to watch. Yeah, <laughs> I get an email off them every Friday. I'm on their mailing list, their, their, their journalistic mailing list, and I'm going, yeah, I should watch that, and then just never bother. It's, um, it's, it's so much other stuff, but they do it. They, like you said, they do feel like they exist in their own bubble, and maybe to their benefit more so. Um, at a certain point, because it, it does feel like um, they do put on a different type of content that is maybe for a niche audience, maybe it's, it's broadening, but I, I do think it is a different type of quality. Yeah, definitely. Well, that brings us to the end of Death and our coverage of this particular event. I'd like to thank Mr. Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, for his contributions today. Where can we find you on the internet, sir? Yes, you can find me on Twitter, always down to talk to people, uh, at Paradox Kid, that's P-A-R-A-D-O-X-K-I-D. We best, like, pump Ben, as I'm, as I'm probably going to sample him at the beginning of the show. Um, you can find him at Tink Holloway on Twitter. You can also find, of course, the Wrestling Rewind, sorry, not Wrestling Rewind, that's the other show we have. The Random this week, they're actually looking at uh, NXT, he says, looking at his Twitter feed because they tagged me in a Twitter. There we go. NXT TakeOver, Fatal 4-Way, uh, Neville, Zayn, Kid, and Breeze. There's number 36. This was a while ago. Kenta arrives in NXT. Oh, yes, he's left since then and got much better. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, and uninjured, funnily enough. Yeah, anyway. Um, and you can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can find us on The Troopany Show on Twitter and on Facebook, The Troopany Show, as well as on Patreon, The Troopany Show, where you keep us free forever. I will be back on Facebook. Thursday, where I will be covering today at G1 Climax 31, um, which is a B block, an A block show, he says. I have no idea who's on there. I can't find it either because it's not a cage match. They haven't actually got the next day's events loaded up yet. Let me have a look at MGPW1972.com. Have you watched any of the G1 so far? Not yet. I was going to get into it after uh, after we got through talking because I also have to catch the um, I also have to catch Victory Road. Yes. Um, here we go. Um, Toriano versus Gray Okan. Kenta versus Yujiro Takahashi. That should be hilarious. Yeah. Versus Tangaloa. Kota Ibushi versus Tomohiro Ishii. And Shingo Takagi versus Zack Sabre Jr. Oh, there's going to be some loose teeth by the end of that evening. <laughs> and then on Friday, I'll be back with Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Hiroki Goto which you'll be really interested in. Yeah. Tango versus Chase Owens in another Bullet Club on Bullet Club match. Yoshihashi versus Jeff Cobb. Uh, Sonata versus Tai Chi, which should be interesting. And Kazuchika Okada versus Evil, which won't be interesting. So, but there we are. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Kerry Marcus? Yeah, I was going to say, y'all, you, you guys know the deal. We do this every year. Um, you know, James is, is a star worth is doing it every year, even if, you know, it's, it's not, not necessarily the most star studded, uh, you know, biggest uh, G1, if you will. You know, we have to do it. It's a staple. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, just stay tuned. It's all, look, regardless of what's going on in New Japan, um, the G1 is always something to look forward to. It's probably some of the most quality, consistently quality wrestling you're going to get um, annually. So you, you got to tune in. I think that was it. I mean, it was today. It was Akada versus Tanahashi. And Akada versus Tanahashi is always going to be special. You know, it, it just is. And it felt like I haven't felt good about watching a New Japan show for quite some time. And that Rainmaker music hit. And I was like, yeah, this is wild. This, this is it. I haven't seen Akada have a great match for quite some time. Tanahashi's had some good stuff going on. They both need a big match. It's going to be good. <laughs> I, 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 know, 
for you as 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 you know one of Okada's you know uh, Sternger supporters, you saying that 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 has to hurt Okada not having a, a good match in a while. That's it's not. I think it it's one of those things. He's purposefully not had a good match in a while to let other people breathe. If you make sense, like yeah. he's not been. Um, I mean, people were saying earlier this week, I know a couple of people who I respect were saying, well, Akada can't have good matches with anyone other than Tanahashi. And I was like, well, that's just patently untrue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he needs a title to be look great. And I was like, no, because I've seen him have had great matches on his way to the title. Nakamura and, and Akada G1 finals 2016 was outstanding. Like one of the best matches I've ever, ever seen. And, you know, Akada can do it, but I think he's personally dialed himself down so that other people like Shingo can, you know, go as champion without the overshadow of Okada being there. But I think that's been detriment to New Japan in the sense of, it was like Ben said when we did that show, I said, where's Okada? Where's Tanahashi? Where are these guys that I love who I expect to see on a New Japan show when the people in the main event are not breaking through with the Western audience the way that, that those guys did? And I understand Okada has to give those people a chance. That's the way it is. But it does hurt as an Okada fan to see him having up a mid-card matches which aren't great because, you know, he's trying to let other people be great. And Chingo's been amazing as heavyweight champion, you know. Um, but it's a lot of the things that New Japan's had problems with is they get in the road of themselves all the time, I think. Yes, yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting, um, you know. Never had. I mean, you can't have too much of a good thing, but you know, you got to reshuffle that deck the way that they do on on top of being in the middle of an expansion across, you know, the world, if you will. It's, it, you know, you kind of got to keep certain things consistent, and then when you know you you go through things like having to lose certain talents or in situations where you probably never should have put the belt on other certain talents. Um, it can be a tricky thing um, going back to somebody like Okada, who I guess for a lot of people feel like old faithful, but you know, in a lot of ways, if it's not broke, yeah. you know, you also see somebody like Shingo, who was brilliant in every sense of the word, be a great champion at a bad time, because we've seen that a lot of times too, you know. So, you know, yeah. hopefully, uh, the ship, and I think the G1 is, is, is definitely certainly a way that can, you know, um, kind of taper that off in a sense but you know like you said they they do have to kind of figure things out because you're not the only person i mean our circle is not the only person i've heard kind of being waned on the product right now no no it's not you know it's not these two nights felt like the g1s of old and i don't miss offspring obviously because everyone knows i can't stand them but i do i thought i'd miss jay white and I don't necessarily, but I don't miss him. I don't think the tournament drops out. And people have pulled their weight up. You know, I'm obviously considering the, the speaking out revelations about Chase Owen. I'm not particularly keen on him either. But as a wrestler, he's pulled weight up. He's added more maneuvers to his repertoire. He's trying to be a G1 wrestler. And that's that's what he's supposed to do. You know, he's not just being a tag team guy to make up numbers. He's actually trying. So is Yujiro as well. Yujiro in this tournament, after one match, looks like a million dollars compared to last year where he just kind of like bodged along to try and make up the numbers. Yeah. Pulled out a great one at the end. He actually looks like a guy who wants to win wrestling matches. You know, that's the whole point, isn't it? <laughs> I'm saying a lot because Yujiro, usually for me, is a, a great sighting, but mostly a foregone conclusion. I'm usually, you know, a tear goes down my eye because we don't necessarily see, uh, you know, uh, Peter. But, you know, it's, it's cool to see because he's another guy when he wants to turn it on, he can turn it on. Like I had to lament at one point because as much as I despise Tai Chi, um, he's another guy. If he wants to turn it on, he can deliver, obviously, minus all his antics. You know, but he's another guy. I mean, then also this year, I think the Tongas have returned to the G1, right? So Yeah, yeah. Um, Lower had a really good debut match. I'm not telling you any results because I know you're going to watch it after this. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to Dennis Dale on, 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 uh, on DMs and he was like, oh, I don't care about matches. I just don't care about results. I just want to watch the matches and see if it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right. Um, but yeah, um, 
Yeah, Lower had a really good debut match. Um, you'll be glad to know Peter and Mio Abe are both back at ringside. Nice. So clearly the brains of the outfit have turned up, which is <laughs> the reason why Rijiro did so well. Anywho. <laughs> Um, yeah, so you'll enjoy watching it, I think. I think you'll be refreshed on the fact that there's just solid quality wrestling matches on there that have no more... Um, the story doesn't matter, because the story is win the G1, because the G1's everything. Yeah. That's it. That's that's the be-all and end-all. The G1 is a career. If you win that once, if you get to the final, like what Kyle Anderson has read the last nine years on the fact he got to the final once... <laughs> you know, and that's a career. If you get to the G1 final, that's something Steve Austin couldn't do. That's something, you know, Ric Flair couldn't do. Iron Anderson couldn't do. That's what, you know, some biggest names in New Japan history couldn't do. There's a career. There's something to hang your hat on. And that's a story within itself. You don't need anything else. And it cuts it down to the basic premise of professional wrestling of winning and losing professional matches professional wrestling matches, which is the main story. What more do you need? Exactly. That's all you need, really. Yes, I like the fancy stuff and the pyro and the noise and the music, and yeah, that's cool. But the basic premise has to be, this guy's better than me. How do I beat him? Or go. Anywho, thank you for listening to us today. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Thank you to Marcus for being my great friend and co-presenter today. I will speak to you soon. I'll speak to you on Thursday, then on Friday, and we'll be back on Monday. Well, we'll look at another card. I'm not sure what, but I have a feeling it might be Jonathan Gresham versus Minoru Suzuki from GCW. Well, that'd be a good idea, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> See you soon. Take care. Bye.